They, they don't come to cross 10 feet into the United States and stop. They want to go where they can make a better life. And who's to say they can't make a better life in Martha's Vineyard or New York or anywhere else for that matter? Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff. And the Flyover Country rotation is changing yet again. I'm back, Joe Arnold, your roundtable host. Scott is here, Sean Southerd and Jared Crawford. No Kevin Grout tonight. Grouty, so, taking so, that week off. So no Kevin's quiz. He's, playing, uh, he's on dad duty tonight. That I feel like when someone misses, we do need 30 seconds of just merciless making fun of that person. Sean, kick us off. Oh, Kevin, your friend. Kevin Grout. <laughs> what, what to say? What can say about Kevin Grout that hasn't been said by us before we started the recording of this? Correct. I mean, just It wouldn't be polite to rehash it now. You're, you're right about that. We are glad to see you back, Joe. Welcome back. That. How Thank was you. your Alaskan cruise? It was fantastic. Went with my father. Uh, it was as, as, as great as I hoped it would be. It was just, uh, I, had, I had been there earlier this year, actually, with Scott and, and his family and, and my family as well, and just had a fantastic time there, and I couldn't wait to go back. You've spent most of the year on a cruise ship. I mean, most of the weeks of this year, you have... My vacations have all been cruises. I, it's it's interesting. You, and you, you're, not, you're not flyover country, you're floatover country. That is That's true. What you are. And he's kind of a workaholic, too. So you're, like, I working am. while you're on these trips. I was to an extent. However, I will... This is what I'm... For folks like me who have a problem of putting the laptop down at night, the great thing about a cruise is that, especially if you're cheap like me and don't want to pay for, like, a Wi-Fi plan, for the most part, you can you can truly unplug. And that that is a great uh, benefit to, to get in there. Well, you uh, you were also interviewing your dad too. I, I was, in fact, yes. I, I uh, set up the iPhone, a little little. How, how many days did you get into this interview before your your dad like literally beat you down on this and told to leave me? You do have a little bit of a bruise <laughs> on your face. And we, we weren't going to bring it up, but did he call you? He did. He did. <laughs> I thought he did. Well, we we had read the reports of him having thrown you overboard, and then the. You being rescued. Hey, listen, I just want to say, to your point, and we'll move on here, I just want to say thanks to the U.S. Coast Guard. <laughs> was Welcome back anyway. We're glad I, you're back. I have, it's good to see everybody, and I did a lot of flying over country you and did. floating over country as well. To, uh, today on the uh, the podcast with Scott Jennings, we're going to uh, deal with two different very interesting people with interesting messages on abortion. I mean, you have Lindsey Graham and and John Fetterman. You hear, you Fetter hear about Fetterwoman? Fetter 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 I'm sorry, Fetterwoman. Yeah. We'll talk about that. Uh, <laughs> the the buy now pay later uh, phenomenon oh, going on. This article is amazing in cities across the country. Uh, electric vehicles talk about phenomena, but in the meantime, we'll start right now with a story, which is grabbing is basically is exactly what Ron DeSantis and and Greg Abbott had hoped for which is that it's now leading every national newscast up until now the border crisis in this country has not really gained any traction as far as attention eyeballs people haven't really cared about it mainly because it's in flyover country mainly because it's an area that is not being affected by this as directly so Scott I'll start with you but as you, I said in the podcast maybe a few mo- weeks ago, I'm I'm personally uh, bothered using people as pawns, but I I might be convinced that if it solves the problem ultimately, and we haven't actually heard from the people who have been bussed or flown to 
Martha's Vineyard and the vice president's house and other places. Maybe they like it there. I don't know. I mean, it, it ultimately, is this is is that cost worth it? Well, um, first of all, we have heard from them because one of the things that often gets left out, left out of the coverage is that this is voluntary. They ask them, where do you want to go? Do you want to go to New York City? And so that that's what's happening. That's number one. Number two, when people come across the border, um, some of them stop, I guess, in these border towns. Some of them keep going. And so they wind up out in the middle of the country anyway. And so the idea that these are the only 50 people who could have made it to Martha's Vineyard or the only 100 people that could have gone to you know, Washington or, or New York City, that's just not true. I mean, how, how do illegal immigrants wind up in Kentucky? How do they wind up in Indiana or Ohio? They keep going. They get on a bus. The government gives them a bus ticket and they go. They're just not doing it in an organized way. I, don't, I reject the idea that these folks are pawns because they came to the United States not to stop. They didn't come here. They didn't say, my final destination is 10 feet over the U.S. border. They said, my final destination is the United States and where I can find the most opportunity. So if you could find opportunity in New York or Martha's Vineyard or uh, out in front of the Naval Observatory in Washington, D.C., I mean... That's probably what they want, wanted because they were coming here to, to go somewhere where they could find a better opportunity from whence they came. Now, as a political matter, I'm not traditionally a huge fan of trolling as government policy. However, in this case, I am going to say this problem is so bad. We have a record number of people coming across the border. The Biden administration is lying to the American people. Corrine Jean-Pierre stands at the podium day after day and claims the border is secure. And one, In fact, do we have the audio of her from the other day? While well, you're pulling that up, but about 8,000 people a day, yeah. about 2 million people so far this year. It is not that simple. It's not just that people are walking uh, across uh, across the border. We have, right there. we have a... That, I mean... It's not like people are walking across the board. Yes, they, well, you know what? She might be right. They're not walking. They're running across. They're skipping across. They're, they're swim- cartwheeling They're swimming across. across. They're swimming. I mean, that. but that's the official message of the White House to tell the American people, don't believe your own eyes. And so you've got that. Then you have Kamala Harris. We have Kamala. I want to hear Kamala Harris, who had the gall to do an interview with Chuck Todd of NBC News, in which she said the following. We're going to have 2 million people cross this border for the first time ever. You're confident this border is secure? We have a secure border in that that is a priority for any nation, including ours and our administration. The border... Wait, 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 wait. wait. Let me just repeat what you said. We have a secure border in that... That is it. I'm sorry. Are you familiar with our vice president? That's about as coherent as it gets. But the idea, the idea that she would sit on national television and tell people that the border is secure when you could turn on the news, Sean, and see 8,000 people a day coming across. I mean, it's, it's not a secret. They're coming over in broad daylight. They interviewed one of the migrants today on Fox News and said uh, the Biden administration says the border is secure. Uh, that it's closed. He said, no, it's not closed. It's open. And we all know it. Everybody knows it. That's why we're coming. Mm-hmm. So do I love the politics of trolling? Do I love governing by trolling? No, not necessarily. But in this case, the Biden administration has forfeited all credibility. They are lying to the American people. And somebody needs to grab them by the shoulders and say, this is a problem. And so if that's what DeSantis and Abbott are doing, which I think it is exactly what they're doing, 
then I am all for it. And the freak out on the left about this tells you all you need to know about the hypocrisy of the virtue signaling that has gone on on this issue on the American left. Sean Southern. Well, I mean, the the whole idea, you know, you remember a few years ago with the kids in cages and the vice president going down, AOC all going to visit the border and oh, making oh, a big deal then. Oh, the pictures of AOC. <laughs> yes. Remember in her all-white outfit, crying, crying in bawling, front of the doubled bawling. over in agony. Yes, yes. And then, you know, President Biden's elected, and it's all quiet on the immigration front for a little bit. And then what do we find out? There's still kids in cages. And so my question, Joe, is... What's a better place from the humanitarian standpoint that, you know, is, is actually near and dear to my heart? What, where's a better place for him to be in cages or to be in Martha's Vineyard? I and will so, say I will say that, that to your both of your points is that you would hope there would have been as much concern about the plight of uh, people who have entered this country illegally before they were bust to Martha's Vineyard. In other words, when they yes. were... Yes. Oh, oh, that's another well, thing. As that, long as these people are out of sight and out of mind for people in Martha's Vineyard, in New York City, and Washington, D.C., they are content to just pretend they don't exist. Well, this is the other thing, too. The, the, the cities, the officials in these border towns do care. They are just so remarkably overwhelmed. Like, that's the, that's the problem here is it's not that they're just, like, showing up and they don't care. And so, like, ah, send them to some other city. They'll give them a – they'll figure out how to get them a job. They'll figure out how to get them in line to become citizens and taxpayers and all those things. They are so overwhelmed they can't deal with This is the same issue with the border, too. Uh, the amount of fentanyl coming over the border. These the, the border ports are underfunded and understaffed. And so they they would love to take care of these people, but they're not getting the funding, the resources that they want. And so they, they probably care about these people, but they're so overwhelmed because of the porous border. They have to send them somewhere else, and it becomes the humane thing to do. I saw Ken Burns, the oh famous God. documentarian on CNN, it was my bad. network this morning. It was bad. And I, and I, you know, one of my favorite things to watch on a television screen is a Ken Burns documentary. The Civil War is amazing. Baseball, Baseball is incredible. Jazz. The Ma- Muhammad Ali. It's, the Roosevelt's. It's the, oh, just incredible. And then, so I sort of, you know, I like Ken Burns. And he was on there today to introduce a new one, right? About the Holocaust and Hitler, About right? the Holocaust. And they wind up comparing what DeSantis and Abbott are doing to... Nazi Germany putting the Jews on trains to concentration camps. They wound up making no. that comparison. And <laughs> and I it, did not see this. Oh, no. I mean, you talk about a broken bra- See if you can find it. Yes. Yeah, it's, yeah. See, see if you can that, find it because it's it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's is, but it, it, it is so broken brain. I mean, I don't know what really happened to these people's brains. I mean, it just it's insane. Now, you, you just so you it. know, as far as your network is concerned, is concerned as well, the other big story, or the big, the, the way they were talking about it on the way on the podcast, what I heard was that they were saying these people were hoodwinked. The people on buses and and planes, hoodwinked. they were they were tricked into. They didn't know where they were going, and they were tricked into where where they were they were headed. Baloney. Now that said, that said, even but I I, I think your your initial uh, point when we first began the podcast is well taken in this regard, is that. When folks are coming across the border, they want to get into the U.S. And frankly, again, I don't like the pawn nature of it. If, and I know, I know you, you reject that word. I don't like the you know the the this this whole kind of a stunt or trolling, whatever they call it. But that said, all I got to say is, if I'm going to be coming into the United States and I get a first, I, I get a one way ticket to go to of all places, Martha's Vineyard, and people are rolling out the red carpet for me. These they actually might have the one of the better outcomes when they start their journey. 
and they start to think about where should I go? Where in the world do we have opportunity for my family? They don't say, oh, El Paso is the shining city on the hill. <laughs> they say the United States of America. They know America is a big country. We have lots of cities. We have lots of states, lots of counties. Some people may want to go to the Northeast. Some people may want to go West. Some may want to go, you know, to the East Coast. They, they don't come to cross 10 feet into the United States and stop. They want to go where they can make a better life. And who's to say they can't make a better life in Martha's Vineyard or New York or anywhere else for that matter? Here's my question. Why are these people feeling so emboldened to come to the United States and cross the border illegally anyway? Well, we put a big sign on the southern border and said, it's open. Come over. Joe Biden's here, and we're going to take care of every single thing. We lifted the Remain in Mexico policy. We did. We we, we removed lots of things that well, were— we, not, not we. Sorry. Right. Forgive me. The president of the United the States. Here's, the here's, United here's States. my point, then. Equally cruel. It's cruel, then, to basically put out that sign— and, and to invite this crisis and invite the suffering and invite the coyotes and the people who smuggle people across the border and they die in the box trucks on the way over and, 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 they, and, they're, and they're sex trafficked and they're completely abused because people are taking advantage of this like, cruel policy. They are finding bodies in trucks. I, I agree. Just across the border. Right. This, is, saying, this is a this humanitarian. Is, it, is, it is humanitarian and cruel and, and, and inhu- inhumane and cruel. And I'm saying is for everyone complaining about the inhumanity and the cruel nature of a of a stunt, I'm saying that's fine if you if you truly believe that. But I want you to be equally as exercised over the cruel policy that we have right now and not not keeping our border secure. Isn't it like thirteen hundred people and bodies have been found? I mean right. I mean, you have these people dying in the in the arduous nature of the journey from where they start to getting to the United States, the least arduous thing they're going to do is get on a bus and drive to New York or get on a private plane. I want people to be as upset about the origin of the crisis yeah. than about this particularly— But see, that's the, that's the thing about the left, though. It's, it's all virtue signaling. As long as it can be far away from me and as long as I can blame some Republican or some conservative and as long as I don't have to deal with it personally— that I can use my hashtags, I can tweet out my pictures of the Statue of Liberty and the plaque on it. We give me your tired, your poor. I can do all that. I can declare my city a sanctuary city. It's all virtue signaling until you actually have to be part of the solution. Right now, the border towns and the people who run Texas are part of the solution. The people who run Arizona are part of the solution in Florida. The people who are on the front, the Border Patrol, is part of the solution. But if you're in New York City and you're happy to declare yourself a sanctuary city until the migrants show up and then you're up in arms about it, I would suggest get on board being part of the solution. Yeah, I think that's what's so offensive about the left's reaction to this is that they're the ones with the migrants welcome signs yeah. in their yard. It's all virtue signal. It, it, it's, you know, the, the media, I mean, the, you know, the mainstream media will, will lament this for many days. I want to do something kind of quickly because I think this should be the reaction. Uh, Dylan Fernandez, who's actually the state rep in Massachusetts who covers my hometown. I won't drop it because my parents still live there, but covers Martha's Vineyard. Uh, You're from Martha's Vineyard? No, I. but he covers that area. <laughs> I get it. Um, this was a tweet he sent out. 
These migrants were not met with chaos. They were met with compassion. We are a community and nation that is stronger because of immigrants. The community coming together with water, food, interpretation, help, and resources to support these families represent the best of America. I would love for every elected official to take that position, right and left, and be compassionate about these people and recognize the humanitarian crisis and not just out of sight, out of mind. We do this with so many issues. We do it with violent crime in our cities. We do it with immigration because it's not in our, in our states, not at our borders. I, I hope that this wakes the left up to say, you know what, we can take these people. We can help them. We can be, be humanitarian about this, but they have not done that. They have not done that. That's I, not been their reaction. I have seen a great many pictures today of people in Martha's Vineyard being overwhelmingly compassionate mm-hmm. and welcoming to your point of the of the statement you just read. I've seen them playing with the children. I've seen them feeding them. I've seen them rallying around these folks. It's the politicians yes. who are failing. It's the top layer of the Democratic Party that is so broken right now. Well, if if Governor Abbott and Ron DeSantis are doing something, then it must, must be, be bad. bad. Yep. Yep. And they haven't stopped to consider what you just said. Maybe our communities are the right place yeah. for some of these folks. If you truly believe in your heart that folks ought to be able to walk over the border because the United States offers a better life yeah. for them, then why why would you believe that your state or your town yeah. is not the very best of that place? Yeah. Are I, you saying that only Texas is the best of us? Because that's not what you usually say. It's so insane. There will be businesses on Martha's Vineyard that will hire these people because they need work. They've been understaffed. Right. Restaurants and all, you know, well, things ultimately like that. We need a better, we, it, well, we need a legal immigration and, scheme and ex- that makes sense for, because we are, we do need workers. Yes. We do need bright, uh, wonderful people from a variety of nations. It just needs to be done Well, what, what we really, we, I, I don't disagree with you, but what we actually need, and we can wrap up here, the point of this entire thing is this. We actually need a secure border. Right. A secure border that you cannot, Corrine Jean-Pierre, just walk across. A secure border that doesn't allow thousands of pounds of fentanyl to flow over and get into the United States and kill people. A secure border that doesn't have the people in Texas and Arizona screaming for help like they are every single day. That's what we really need. And then when you have that, then you can control the yeah. flow of people, and people can get where they need to be, and they can become assimilated into the United States however they see fit. I did want to point out, and then we'll move on, that, that I did watch World News Tonight uh, for David Muir on uh, on Wednesday night, and you're going to glare at me when I say that. But one of the people they interviewed outside the vice president's home and the Naval Observatory, she said, this is a residential neighborhood. I'm like, what do you think El Paso is? <laughs> you know, I mean, people are. This is the this is the NIMBY thing going on here, right? Yes. And this this is the whole point is, and this is the great way. This is flyover country. Yeah, you know, and and, and as a result, I, I shouldn't lo- affect me. I love the bus going to Harris's neighborhood, and I'll tell you why. Because she sat on television and lied to the American people about the nature of this problem. And so, if you're going to have a politician who so openly lies about something so deadly serious. I think you got to bring it to their front door. Good job, Abbott. Good job, DeSantis. You should have seen the glare I got when I mentioned ABC News. <laughs> All right, next, uh, let's talk about... Scott, you shared with us uh, on an email earlier today uh, about electric vehicles and yeah. about the government tip putting its thumb on the scale 
of, of course, it's not just electric vehicles, it's energy in general as far as putting the thumb on the scale of what they what they want to happen here. But what's your beef? Well, I just, it's, it's not a beef as much as it is just an observation, and we can kick it around. I mean, I'll be, I'll be honest, my family, we've, we've had a hybrid, not a fully electric vehicle. We had a van that you could charge up, and it would take you about 30 miles, and you could charge it again. So it was a, it was a hybrid. Uh, worked well. We, we enjoyed having it until my wife crashed it into a deer. Or the deer Whoa. crashed into her? No, she crashed it into a <laughs> deer. Whoa, I mean, come on, man. She crashed it into a deer. And I and I know she may be listening to this, and we've discussed it at home. Anyway, we don't have a hybrid anymore. We we tried to get one. Well, we anyway, it's a, it's a whole other story. So I'm I'm I am curious about the electric vehicles. But but here is what I'm sort of coming to, to terms with. A if they're so great, and there was a there was an article that I sent around. If they're so great, why do we have to pay people to buy them? Because that's what we're doing with this tax credit. Which, by the way, as soon as the tax credit in the Inflation Reduction Act was announced, then the automakers immediately raised their prices to be the equivalent of the tax credit. So that's not, so why why is that necessary? Why is that subsidy necessary? And B, it may be worse. On the manufacturing side, I was reading this week. That if we meet all of our targets on electric vehicles, it will have virtually no impact whatsoever on overall global warming. And so I'm just, I am just trying to figure out why we don't just let the market work here. Well, and, and why don't we just let the market work? And if you looked, if you looked on your streets, if you looked on the roads, even prior to this tax credit, there was an increase and electric vehicles on the road. People naturally were gravitating towards them. Yeah. And so this is this is just kind of a handout to an industry that is aligned with the National Democrat Party. I, I also think this. Joe Biden and his party, they're not I mean, they're dumb, but they're not dumb. And the the constituency of this party right now is who? Upper middle class, wealthier, white collar people who can afford to go out and buy an electric vehicle. So you think about the two big giveaways this summer. Tax credits for wealthy people to buy Teslas and paying off the student loans of college graduates who can afford to pay their student loans. It is flat-out giveaways to political constituencies. And to me, sort of trying to cover it over with, oh, it's good for the environment. Well, I don't know, is it? I mean, it doesn't seem to be as good of a deal as we've been told on the environmental side. But it's a good deal for Joe Biden because he can make working class America foot the bill to pay for their neighbor's Tesla and their neighbor's college diploma and go out and tell the people who voted for him, look what I did for you. It To me, they're selling America a bill of goods on this all to pay off a political constituency. Yeah, the the thing here is, you know, ideas so good they have to be mandatory, right? Like that's the <laughs> yeah. sort of selling point here. It seems like 90% of Joe Biden's presidency, too, is him just going around and test driving these electric vehicles. He did like a Cadillac one the other day, and he's always just like, well, it's got some zip, you know, or whatever. Uh, that wasn't it, a very good Joe Biden. <laughs> it's just you a may weird... come back, come back next Folks, time. <laughs> folks. <laughs> yeah, folks. Yeah. And so that, it, it is this weird, like, pet project uh, of his to, to really embrace these. But, yeah, I mean, it's if, if they work, if, if people enjoy them, if they enjoy the benefits either personally or for the climate, they will buy them. And by the way, I might, I could be, if they made one big enough to haul my family around, I, I could be persuaded. Oh, it's happening. Yeah. It's happening. I could be it, persuaded. Th- but the, the question, I guess, there is. But why is, do I deserve a tax credit 
to do it. I could. Right. I mean, that's the thing. Like, well, they want to get it to the point where because it is such a sea change in, in an entire you know the, the investments that's going to take to be able to have the charging stations and the infrastructure to be able to support all of that can't happen without some government support. See, I disagree. I mean, Tesla built this massive charging network, and people seem to want well. They, the but that, that is a boutique. Uh, vehicle and not one they're talking about changing over i find it fascinating as far as just from an for the automaker standpoint you know ford i think it might end up maybe they already are separating the two different companies we'll have the gas combustible company and then we'll have the ev company we're curious to see that might protect some of the stockholders of the first one the, the, other, the other thing we're not ready for this i mean you've got the state of california no, outlawing right. com, you know the combustible engine mm-hmm. by a certain date and then literally two days later Telling people in California, you're not allowed to turn on your major appliances. Well, right. what what is a ma- is a car a major appliance? Because how do you think these things? It is get a very up? hard transition, and it's one that unfortunately this is. And, and to your point, is that this is where it needs to follow naturally and through market forces, rather than trying to create a kind of fictional or fabled you know system to say, okay, now live there. And the problem is, and you're exactly right, is that. You, th- th- that's, those kind of policies, people on the upper end of the wealth spectrum, they can they can withstand the kind of, of disruptions that are going to cost people's lives when you when you change all of that. The people who pay the price are the people on the lower end. I mean, ask yeah. Europe what happens when you follow these la la land energy religion people down the rabbit hole. Well, that's, ask Europe. That, Look that, what's that, about that, to happen. Right. That's exactly Look right. Look what's about to happen this winter. Right. We're not going to have an Arab Spring. We're having a European winter. People are going to be pissed at their governments this winter. They had a rough summer. It's going to get worse. Follow. They, they don't live in reality. They don't live in reality. So to me, the reality is there's probably a market for electric vehicles, but the government shouldn't be forcing these energy policies onto Americans and making lower-class Americans subsidize the purchases of the wealthy while at the same time not preparing America's energy grid for the coming problems. I, 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 am, I am very, very skeptical of all this, and it just drives me, Sean, back to my, my basic roots. Let the market work. Well, and my question is, is how even with this tax credit are you supposed to afford such a vehicle at this time with this – price of inflation going through the roof still. And uh, it was interesting. There was an interview that Kamala Harris did uh, with a local news station, and she was asked this question, and she just kind of word saladed the whole thing. And she's like, well, in the long run, when you buy electric, it's going to be cheaper for you because you're not going to be paying for gas. Does she think electricity <laughs> so is So the electricity. <laughs> I mean, it just appears. Yeah, I, I don't know where it comes from. It right. just, Joe, by the way, I uh, it's cleaner though. Yeah, by the way, I did bring up about two months ago, and I think I got laughed off the podcast. Well, I, I typically am laughed off the podcast. My rant against the the subsidies of solar panels, but it's the same exact yeah. thing. Right. The, 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 you have the wealthiest people who are able to buy the solar panels, and the people on the lowest ends of the spectrum are expected to subsidize. That purchase. And what's going to happen is, you know, you raised this point, Scott, about, you know, the wealthy people are the only ones that can really afford these and, and that's going to the, they're going to get the tax credit. What's going to happen is that all this money and all these handouts are going to concentrate in the cities. And it's sure. going to be very difficult for places in rural America to kind of keep up with what's going on. Oh, well, I, I, I've been spending a lot of time in Washington, New York lately. There's Teslas all over the roads, mm-hmm. all yeah. over up there. I mean, I mean, it, it, obviously there's, there's a demand, there's a marketplace for this. 
And uh, and I don't know. I, just, I think they're creating an imbalance. I really do. And, and and it's like with the student loan thing. You know, they decided on a specific class of people that they wanted to do something for. Mm-hmm. But there were so many other things they could have done with that money. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's that thing he did, that amount of money could have wiped out all medical debt in the United States. Do you know that? That amount of money could have wiped out all medical debt. Now, the difference between student loans and medical debt is this. No one chooses to go into medical debt. No one chooses to get sick and have expensive treatments. That's not what you want for yourself. You didn't Mm -hmm. willingly enter into a contract to get some rare disease. But you did on the student loans. And so, to me, and we can wrap it up here, Joe Biden picking the people that he thinks are voting for him and handing them money on the backs of the people who did not. Blatantly political, and it ought to be talked about more in that way. I just want to, before we stray too far from this too, they don't work. Like these these cars aren't also saving the planet, right? Like Scott, you made the point in the beginning. I pulled up the article here. If every country achieved its stated ambitious electric vehicle targets by 2030, the world would save 231 million tons of CO2 emissions. That probably that sounds like a lot, doesn't it? That would be a point oh 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 two degree Fahrenheit oh, reduction. You fixed it. Solved. Yeah. So there you go. So you, I just got a little chillier in here now as you uh, you brought that up. Um, <laughs> it adds in here. One study found that electric cars put out more of the most dangerous particular air pollution than gasoline-powered cars in 70% of the United States. An American Economic Association study found that rather than lowering air pollution on average, each additional electric car in the U.S. causes additional air pollution damage over its lifetime. Well, I mean, they're just... This is a different nature of uh, than flyover country, but it's somebody else's country. Uh, this also has to do with the the mining of the rare earth materials oh. that you need. And where for, are they? Yeah. They're in China. They're in Africa. They're in other. They're in developing countries. Yeah, but it's not happening here, so you don't again, see it. So you don't again, think about it. Out of sight, out of mind. Right. Your, your smog, your get your yeah. smoke from your engine. Out of sight, out of mind. How much of modern liberalism is just doing things that are designed? Yeah. To make you feel better about yourself, and also, and also stuff, to yeah. like show your neighbor how much better you are, <laughs> how much more, how much more moral you are than they are. I mean, it, it's like you put up your sign, "Immigrants welcome here." You know, you get your Tesla. Look at me. It, there's an old episode. Oh, of you South don't have a Tesla? Well, I guess you don't care as much as I there's do. There's an old episode <laughs> of South Park about when they were they were creating the smug clouds. Uh, when they were buying their uh, electric cars, and they were ahead of their time. On it. But but how much of of it is just that it's it's not about the science, it's not about being smart, it's not about good policy that actually makes a difference. It's just I need to emotionally feel better about myself, and I need my neighbor to know how awesome I am. You mentioned student loans and people making mm-hmm. decisions and then asking folks to bail them out of those debts. Will we someday have a bailout for people who have taken out buy now, pay later uh, schemes for new sneakers or a new stereo or, or, uh, or iPhone or a purse? Because as we now are going to many stores, actually online I've noticed this too, is that I, I didn't think about this until you pointed this out. And I, saw, I suddenly realized, oh, you know, I see that all the time now, that you can actually, I can pay for this on Amazon all the time. You can pay for this or... Like take out this temporary loan or this credit card, and then you can just basically hit, get it free for you know for for right now and move on. So this is the buy now pay later, 
And delinquencies of these are suddenly are beginning to skyrocket. People are not bank budgeting them into their lives. I had not thought anything about this at all. I caught this article uh, yesterday because uh, we were doing some prep for the pod, and I and I wanted to kick it out to you guys. I had not really th- heard of this because I don't I don't. Well, that you was going to be my. Has anybody ever done this? Because I see it all the time. See, I had not uh, c- clothing or. But I but I read whatever. this article in in the art in the in the the quote that jumped out to me. I'm just going to read <laughs> this. This is Jasmine Francis. Jasmine. Jasmine Francis, age 29, a technology analyst based in Charlotte, North Carolina, said she first used a buy now, pay later service to buy clothes from fast fashion brand Forever 21. Here's the quote. Joe's favorite. Here's the quote. Don't be mocking Forever 21. He goes to Forever 61 (laughs) is where he, it's where his pants are always pulled. (laughs) He had to get one in. (laughs) He had to get one in. Here's the quote from Miss Francis. Quote, I remember I just had a cart full, she said. At first I thought, Something's got to go back. And then I saw Afterpay at checkout. You don't pay for it all right now, but you get it all right now. That was music to my ears. End quote. And in the article, we can put it in the show notes, is about how people are now not making their payments. We have delinquency. Who could have guessed that that would have happened? And so I I don't know, Sean. I mean, I don't know. Do you you guys know a bunch of people who do that? It's crazy to me. So it... I, I, two things. One, these have I've seen more of these on basically every site that you know Brooks Brothers or some of the more like mainstream websites. I see this more often too, but it's shocking to me. I mean, you just read the the quote there. Something's got to go back, and then she was like, "Ah, oh, why not? Maybe just, not. I, <laughs> Maybe it doesn't have to you go know, back. I, why shouldn't I, I get these clothes for free? It's I deserve them. Yeah. Well, but here's the deal. Here's the deal." This exposes the moral hazard of the modern left's view that everything should be free and nothing should have consequences. Student loans, don't have to pay them back. Your rent, don't need to pay that. There's a pandemic going on. Bills, think about what you hear from Elizabeth Warren and AOC and Joe Biden. Think about what they tell you all the time. Well, you shouldn't, you shouldn't have to do this. Even if you willingly entered into some contract to do, you shouldn't have to meet the obligations. There, there should be no consequences to your actions. So if you're this lady who I read the quote from, and you looked up and you saw your national leader saying, well, there's really no consequences for entering into you know bills you have to pay or loans you have to pay back, why wouldn't they have the same thought about this? Like, well, probably someday it's just going to go, it's just going to be canceled. Why wouldn't they have that thought, Sean? Well, I think you're right. And another thing that I point out about this story is that it said the buy now, pay later industry's customers skew young, meaning they have little credit history. Yeah. And that a borrower could take out several short-term loans across multiple buy now, pay later companies, a practice known as loan stacking, and they would never appear on a credit report. And so, I mean, that that's kind of interesting. I mean, if, if you put too many of those on your system, yeah. I mean. This is America. This is America. <laughs> Money has no value. We just print more of it. Actions have no consequences. This is Joe Biden's America. And I'm telling you, this is not the future we want to be teaching our children. This is not a sustainable future. A poll, by the way, that is quoted in the same article that you shared with us, Scott, from U.S. News and World Report by Morning Morning Consult, said 15% of the buy now, pay later customers are using the service for routine purchases, groceries, gas, this kind of thing. This is the situation. Basically, this is a this is part of your daily budgeting now. 
versus a one-time um, or emergency. Off. There's right. a story in here: a woman who had came home had two flat tires. Not particularly ridiculous to me. You know, you got to get to work the next day or the next right. week, right? Like emergency cases to use this or a credit card, right? Like those exist, and if you're if you're you know you stay on top of it, that's okay, right? Like I don't think that that's crazy. The problem is teaching this younger generation with student loans and with these other things that. Eh, somebody else will probably pick up the tab along the way, just throw it on the credit card. I want to hone in on a word you just said, Joe, budgeting. I think that that is a skill that a lot of people, like I'll tell you right now, people don't know how to budget. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, they just don't know how. No one is taught how to do it anymore. Uh, and I tell you that I think that there are a lot of people who just, they live paycheck to paycheck based upon what they see as on, on their credit card bill. And this is just another example of that sort of lack of, discipline sort of learning. I mean, I think budgeting would be considered to be a flyover country thing, frankly. <laughs> well, and also it boils down to the uh, kind of a combination of what Scott and I said earlier, which is the whole thing about the word deserve. You know, you don't want to yeah. have to postpone the payoff. You want to be able to enjoy your life now, you know, those kind of things. I used to so. work for a guy in politics who used to say, instant coffee ruined the world. And you know what? He was right. Because you look across our culture now, and it's like, I want instant gratification now. I yeah. want I want that cart full of clothes now. It's nothing, no, I, 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 nothing should stop me in government. I want the government to do what I want it to do now. And if it doesn't, well, let's break it. Let's just go outside the Constitution and do it anyway. Instant coffee ruined the world. There's no patience in the world. I mean, not even a little bit. And we're not teaching people that you have to have some. That's the That's the modern left's philosophy is just try to salve the emotional uh, you know, wounds that people feel when they don't get their way in that moment. And that's what conservatives, I think, and what people sort of who live out here in flyover country are dealing with every day, this clash of cultures between people who take responsibility and people who don't. So let's move on. The, uh, I want to ask you about uh about I was watching PBS NewsHour, Scott. I know you were. <laughs> well, they took RT off the air, so you're... <laughs> you know Neil Newhouse, respected Republican friend pollster. of mine, Neil Newhouse. Okay, yeah. so he's talking about. You might recall on this podcast back at the uh, the turn of the year that I predicted the 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 reversal of Roe v. Wade, and then wondered aloud about well, you were the leaker, right, Joe? Was not <laughs> the leaker? No. I don't work. We're in not the supposed Supreme to court. Okay, we're not but then to wondered aloud about what effect that would have on the midterms. And it appears this is the crazy thing. So Biden's approval rating right now is 43, a disapproval above 50. And how is it then that there seems to be a trend in the opposite direction where the Republican wave, this red wave, seems to be somewhat subdued? He suggests that this this, this Dobbs case might be the reason. And now you have Lindsey Graham completely kind of stepping into this whole narrative this past week and proposing a national ban on abortion after 15 weeks, kind of stepping on some messaging there on some important Senate districts. But I'm, obviously, this is an issue very important to you, mm. both uh, the abortion pro-life position as well as the the, uh, the balance of power in the Congress. How do these two intersect? Well, I um, I think Joe Biden's uptick in his approval rating, by the way, and I've seen some polls from some states and talked to some operatives, and I actually think it's mostly just Democrats going home. I think his numbers were subdued because Democrats were just disgruntled. And uh, and then he gave them the student loan thing. They did the inflation. <laughs> I just can't say the name of it. They did the climate bill. And so he, he gave a, you know, he spent a bunch of money on stuff they like. So they've come home. 
to some degree. That's that's what you're seeing in his numbers. Uh, on abortion, what I have been surprised at is how flat-footed, frankly, that a lot of Republicans have been in uh, being able to articulate what the party has basically had as a position since Ronald Reagan. The Republican Party has been the pro-life party that believes in reasonable limits on abortion, that believes in the exceptions, rape, incest, and life of the mother. Now, I know some people deviate on the margins, and I get that, but the party basically has believed in that. That's been the party's view. So Lindsey Graham this week, he should not have done this on Monday. Monday was Inflation Day. Republicans should have been talking about inflation all day. That was a mistake, tactical mistake. But let's set that aside for a moment and talk about what he said. 15-week ban, which is uh, consistent with what they have in Europe. Exceptions for rape, incest, and life of the mother, which a a lot of Republicans and and Americans agree with. He basically laid out a simple parameter around which any office holder could say, yeah, I generally agree with that. The Democrats did this in the spring. Chuck Schumer put a messaging bill about abortion on the floor. And I call them messaging bills, gentlemen, because there's nothing could get 60 votes in the U.S. Senate. So nothing's going to pass at the federal level. If you've seen a commercial that says Republicans will pass a federal bill, it's false. There's not 60 votes for Lindsey Graham's bill. There's not 60 votes for Chuck Schumer's bill. In fact, he got 48. It didn't even get all the Democrats. But his bill was also very simple. No limits on abortion all the time, any way you want it, whenever, however. That's what it is. So I would submit that if you took Lindsey's position, 15 weeks, the three exceptions, and you put it on a ballot, and you took Schumer's position, unlimited, all the way up to the moment of birth, and you put that on a ballot, Graham's position would probably win 70-30. So I don't like the day that it came out, but in terms of just trying to define a political party's basic view on something, he laid out a set of positions that's not inconsistent with where a majority of Americans and and nearly all of the civilized world is. Yeah, and I, I totally agree with you, Scott. And you hit on the clear point, which is that the Democrats refuse to say if they believe in any limits whatsoever. They I was, don't. I was they watching don't. CNN, by the way, as well. I was well. Say, Scott had an incredible. <laughs> yeah, I saw you interview. Or, well, actually, you kind of interviewed. <laughs> yeah. The uh, you you were on with your the regular Pocan from Wisconsin. Yeah. yeah. And but you turned to him and asked him three or four times. So what limits do you support? Well, first of all, in our panel, he was lying because here's what's happened. Graham made his announcement and immediately Republicans proposed national ban. Well, I mean, it's not even a ban by definition. If abortion is allowed up to 15 weeks and you have the exceptions then abortions are going to occur. There a, will be abortions. It's a weird... There will be abortions. ...wording quirk that they're they're sort of... Well, it's a ban up to... Right, so... After. Well, it's ba- so it's a ban. But well, the commercials but the Democrats you know, are weird, running say yeah, right. there will be zero abortions in America. Yeah, right. Under Graham's bill, yeah. there'll be thousands Frankly, of abortions. Frankly, if I'm a pro-life uh, uh, advocate or, or lobbyist, I'm, I'm lobbying against this saying that... Well, Lindsey no, Graham, no, 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 I disagree. Lindsey Graham wants to pass a, a, a law... That basically uh, allows abortions up to 15 weeks. But I think a lot of people in the pro-life community wanted him to do this because it's a difference between getting 90% of a loaf or no loaf. And you have to be Mm -hmm. pragmatic enough to understand where your deepest desires run into political reality. Here's the political reality. A lot of people like the 15 or 20 weeks. You know, there's disagreement about that, and you could have a floor debate about it. A lot of people like the exceptions. And a lot of those people who like those things 
are dedicated pro-lifers who understand where their values run into the political reality of the United States of America. I mean, it's, it's like that old William F. Buckley line, Joe. Yes. It's been a long time since I brought that up. Uh, he always said, I'm for the most conservative candidate that can win an election. Mm-hmm. A lot of people on the right and a lot of people in the pro-life movement are for the most pro-life law that can get passed. Right. And so it's, it should not be that controversial to, to, to be a, about that. But here's the thing. Again, to, to go back to the, to the main issue, there will be no federal law. Okay, there are not 60 votes to do anything about abortion in the United States Senate. Everything is going to happen at the state level. And I have believed since the beginning that it's going to take 18 to 24 months to see how this shakes out. There's some referendums, there's state legislature action. It's going to take some time to see where the states level out. But it's but if you're just a Republican candidate for office and someone said, "Well, what are what would you do?" It is an eminently reasonable position and one supported by a majority of Americans to say, I don't know, 15 or 20 weeks seems reasonable to me. The exceptions seem reasonable to me. And that would probably cure most of what we're talking about. And absolutely, I believe strongly that if the life of the mother is in danger, she must be protected. And absolutely, if I believe, if a a nine-year-old or a 10-year-old has been raped, they should absolutely have access to these services. If you said those things, Wouldn't you sound so much more reasonable Mm -hmm. than a Democrat like Chuck Schumer saying, all abortion, all the time, up to the minute of birth? Doesn't that sound like a lunatic compared to the grand position? And and I'll add, too, and we've we've talked about this a lot on the podcast, nearly every Democrat that I've seen react to this has said, end the filibuster and codify Roe. They also want to throw out the rules so that they can codify Roe here. They, They... have taken the sort of extreme response here. Throw out the book on the rules and then take the extreme position on abortion. It adding in the end the filibuster, Charles Booker, Senate candidate, seen other Senate can, I believe Fetter, Harris, Fetterman Kamala Harris have all said, said this. She wants to do it. End the filibuster, codify Roe. Those are the those are extreme ideas. It, it, it's it is so I, to, my original point was I'm a little surprised that Republicans have been in such a crouch on this cuz the party basically has a defensible position. It's the Democrats who have an indefensible position. Now, that runs headlong into the strategic question of, well, do you want to spend any time on this or should you spend all your time on inflation, economy, border, and crime? But here's the thing. Democrats are spending some time on it. The media is obsessed with it. So if you don't have an answer that sounds like what I just said, then it looks like you have no idea what to do. So So I, look, again, Graham, I wish they'd picked a different day. And I wish he had coordinated what he wanted to do with the party and with the leadership. And and that way it could have gotten better amplification. So I think tactically, not great. Messaging, I don't have a problem with it because I can read a poll. And the polls say his position's not terrible. In the meantime, I mentioned those new house poll numbers and talking about the fact that the the the, the congressional balance of power in both the House and the Senate, of course, on the uh, uh, in the balance for th- this this fall's election, and of course one of those big states is Pennsylvania. John Fetterman, woman, better th- woman. Come What's on, that? What Fetter woman, better woman. He's, it's, it's Fetterman. No, better woman, better woman. woman. Please, you get the audio. Respect his Jared. We're going to take thirty seconds. You you get the audio. I it's you haven't seen. Joe, it. I know you think this is funny. I'm trying to not be a bigot, and so yeah. he wants to. If go he wants to identify as a Fetter woman, that, then he can do that. I think he well, obviously, he clearly does. He believes that this issue is going to be the, 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 the deciding factor. Well, Democrats, all these Democrat candidates believe 
that they can plow over this thing with their extreme position with no pushback, with no pushback at all. And that's where Republicans have to do affirmative. They have to affirmatively state something because in lieu of that, your opponent is defining you. And so Fetterman thinks he can define. woman. <laughs> he thinks he can define Oz in this case. Is the, Oz has an eminently reasonable position. My name is John Fetterwoman. Lest you think we made it up. Lest you think we made it up. That's the re- that's what passes for Democrat campaigns. He year. says women are the reason we can win. Women are the reason we win. The question is suburban housewives. All right, we can't call them housewives. I'm sorry. Suburban I I'll get myself canceled. Uh, okay. Yes, correct. That is what you just said. That's correct. right. All right. White suburban women, do they come to the Democratic Party this fall because of the Dobbs case? Well, I, I mean, it depends on who they are. I mean, I mean, the question is, is, is the Republican Party going to sit in a crouch on this, or are we going to have a position that is basically defensible? Look, if, if abortion is your number one issue, if all you care about is abortion, if you have no care in the world about inflation or anything else, and you wake up every day and you haven't blinked since June— because of abortion. You're voting for Democrats. I understand that. But that's not everybody. And the Republican question is, can you have a reasonable position on that while also addressing the core problems of the day? Inflation, quality of life, crime, schools. Democrats are trying to essentially run a one-issue campaign. And I think Republicans could offer a, a little bit broader campaign, which is, hey, well, look, we have a reasonable position on abortion. But you know what? We're also, we're also going to bring down prices at the grocery store. We're also going to get the border under control. We're also going to make sure you can walk out on your front stoop without being shot, and we're going to make sure your kids' schools aren't being hijacked by extreme ideologies. We can run that campaign and look like a responsible governing party. If they want to run a one-issue campaign, the flip side question is, are they leaving a bunch of voters on the table who do care about economic issues? I would submit that they are. You know what I support? I support someone buying John Federwoman a pair of pants. What are you talking about? This oh, man he wears a lot of shorts. He never wears pants. He wears hoodies. He wears hoodies and shorts. And I mean, I mean, I just someone needs to buy him some pants. And that that's what I support. All right. So, what do you support? Uh, that's all, yeah, get him some pants. Take off the hoodie too. Whatever. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm fine with the, the you know the outfits of John Fitter woman, whatever he wants to wear. You know, it's been interesting, Scott. <laughs> The You're libertarian. Pod- See, he doesn't believe in rules. <laughs> we have no to, rules. Do you, do you recall when this podcast debuted, by the way? Is it about a year ago? We're uh, getting around to be about yeah. a year, yeah. And it's interesting, when we first talked about this, and we asked the question, too, as we'll, and we'll wrap it up here shortly, the, all the, the litany of things you just talked about that you think could be the driving Republican issues to go to the polls, there's one thing you didn't mention, which at the time we thought was going to be perhaps the defining issue, and that was COVID policies. And what it did to schools, what it did to... Uh, oh, I, COVID policies are wrapped up in the school situation to me. Okay, I, I get that. Uh, yeah. but, I, I, but I take your point. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting to me, though, but, you know... Well, the, it's over. People, the, it's over for All me. politics is local, and then all politics is somewhat... There's a, there's a recency bias as well. And you wonder, of course, this is different in the age of, you know, voting being over a two-month period rather than election day. But you have to wonder about what issues are going to peak at what times, especially as we're talking about several of them right now, abortion being the most recent one, that might be the motivating factor. You know, the thing about the COVID policies, though, is they already happened, and people felt the effects of it. And and, it, and you have to wonder, like, when people go to the voting booth, 
I mean, somewhere in the back of their mind, they are going to remember, this person cost me my job, this politician shut down my kid's school. So it's it's not as though it's... it's I was stuck in the unemployment line. Yeah, it's not happening today, but it did happen to you, and you haven't forgotten that it happened. And so it's it's an interesting question about how would you measure that you know, because it's obviously not going to be what well, if you call somebody and say, what are the top issues that you're going to think about today? Well, it's over, but it's not like it's gone from your memory. In the category of seen red herd and and and, uh, and picking up on what you just said, Scott, it's interesting to me that I, the, all the headlines I see right now is like eight straight weeks that gas is coming down. Whenever I go, I see a gas station, I still think this is still too freaking expensive. Oh my god! I mean, but it's crazy how the narrative. This is one area where I think. Are you that, saying that when we get the news, that it's not like, it's not like just handed to us as though it hears information that it's shaped in some way? This is one area. No. This is this is one area where I think that I think there are some areas where people can be influenced by the headlines. This is one I think that they see what they actually are paying at the pump, and they. I think memories are long enough to remember. It not too long ago it was it was still about half yeah. of what it is right now. Any any scene red herd or observations before we go, Sean? I'll do a I'll do a scene red herd. Um, I just started reading uh, the Bluegrass Conspiracy, which mm-hmm. is apparently one of these really good Kentucky political books, uh, political history books. Fiction, nonfiction. Uh, it's nonfiction. Nonfiction. It's uh, based on uh, the nineteen seventies. Uh, some some developments here in Kentucky. I know, Joe. Political history. I love political history. In the 1970s. I will look at it. Uh, but I highly recommend it. It was uh, gifted to me, or I'm borrowing it from my friend Kathy Bell. And uh, so. Uh, no, you deserve it. You should keep it. I'll let, <laughs> <laughs> uh, she'll, she'll learn about that from here, that I'm stealing her book. That's right. Scott? Uh, I have. Um, um, it, it, there, there are two things, but they're related, so I'm going to do them both. I, I listen to some podcasts, and um, one of my favorites is Barry Weiss. Yeah. Honestly, with yes. New York Times. top ten and, podcast, and and she put out an episode today with a woman who co-founded uh, a company called Levels. Her name is Dr. Casey Means, and they had a long conversation about a topic you and I have talked about many times, and that is um, health and um, what what is it about the American body that makes it so sick? It's an amazing episode, but I was so impressed with Dr. Casey Means that I went ahead and subscribed to Levels. So I am going to, in the next few days, be getting a Levels continuous glucose monitor. And I'm going to I'm gonna do this for a, a few months. And Because if you listen to Casey Means talk about this, you can learn a lot about your body and a lot about what you're putting into your body and how it impacts your health. I was so impressed with her. I'm going to do it. At the same time, I also uh, uh, got, uh, on the advice of a couple of people in the media business, an Aura ring. And it tracks your sleep, it tracks your heart rate, it tracks your activity. It tracks. tracks your uh, oxygen blood levels, yeah. whatever. And Gives so it all I'm, to Jeff Bezos. So I am I am going to be, over the next few months, on a little bit of a health journey. You know, I've, I go on these sometimes. Yes, you do. And I am going to, um, I'm going to, I am going to just know a lot more about myself. I'm going to see how I, I feel about knowing that and how it impacts my behavior. But in terms of seeing, read, and heard specifically... Barry Weiss, honestly, Dr. Casey Means, highly recommend. Sure. Yeah. Um, I read a great piece in The Atlantic, which is not something you're going to hear from me often. Um, <laughs> I believe Sean was able to be a part of this at 1.2 last year, or earlier this year, uh, American Enterprise Millennial Leadership Cohort mm-hmm. Network. Uh, I heard from uh, Dr. Richard Reeves, who's with the Brookings Institute, who I've followed for a little bit now. Um, really interesting researcher, has done some really interesting stuff. But he wrote a piece and has a book coming out soon. Um, but the piece is called Red Shirt the Boys. 
it's all about how uh, uh, boys should be starting school a year later uh, than women. So if a girl was to start at age four, that boy should start at age five. Um, really interesting research. This is pretty uncommon practice, but uh, in the in the small pockets, it's typically wealthy people that have done this, seeing tremendous results with both um, social awareness and all those things with young boys. We've talked on the show a couple times about you know young men drop, dropping out of college and high rates of unemployment. Women are now outpacing men back in the workforce. They're outpacing them in, in graduate degrees, uh, graduating college. Six times as many men dropped out of college than women last year. Men are are sort of struggling in in a period of crisis. And this is a very interesting piece that puts some of that uh, in perspective and an interesting idea that I'm sort of percolating a little bit right now about potentially, uh, you know, just sort of looking into this. But a very interesting piece, Richard, and I would encourage people to, to... uh, check out Richard Reeves' other research, too. Great timing for me as I'm visiting my freshman son in college uh, this weekend. I appreciate your thoughts and prayers. He's 15. Is that about right for freshman in college? No, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, see, I, I, could, I don't know. I had to think for a second. Jared, Sean, I'm Joe Arnold, and take us home, Scott. Thanks for listening to Flower Country. If you like this, share it. Please tell your networks about it. Tweet about it. Put it on Facebook. Give us the five stars. Subscribe to it. We're, we're a really loving. We've been doing it, as Joe pointed out, for about a year. We love these episodes. We love these roundtables. We love the conversations. I was in, uh, I, I want to tell you guys just a quick story. I was at, I took my kid to a birthday party the other day, my youngest, at one of these kid-like birthday party places. And a dude walks up to me and he goes, man, I love your all's podcast. That emergency pod after Fancy Farm was great. Didn't know him. Had never met him. And it reminded me, people are listening. And uh, this conversation we're having, this flyover country-based view of American public affairs is so vital and I'm having so much fun doing it. So if you if you agree with us, share it. We're glad to keep bringing it to you. I'm Scott Jennings. Thanks for listening to Flyover Country. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab coming to you from the heart of middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Mm-hmm.